You're listening to Rice Radio, home for all things rice. This episode you're about to listen to was originally aired live on Rice TV on January 19th, 2021 with crypto icon and investor Max Kaiser. So without further ado, let's dive on in. On today's Rice Report, I am joined by the one and only Max Kaiser from the Kaiser Report and also from the Orange Pill Podcast, the Bishop of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto's representative on Earth, the Bitcoin pioneer himself, the Wall Street veteran. He is infamous for so many things, and I have the honor and privilege of doing a live interview with Max Kaiser today. So we're going to go ahead and get this show started. Monarch brings the world's best crypto services and companies to one safe, easy-to-use place, the Monarch Wallet. One app, one login, everything crypto. Your money, your way. Learn more at monarchwallet.com. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in for today's live Rice Report. I do want to appreciate everybody for joining us on today's live stream. If you're not subscribed, make sure you subscribe. Smash that like button because it helps other people to be able to see this video in the YouTube algorithm flow. Also, I encourage everyone to make sure you're following me on Library and Odyssey, where I have backups of all my videos and I post up extra content. And that's where you'll know where you find me just in case YouTube deletes my channel. Also, check out my Patreon, where I post up exclusive content, early access to videos, and it's a way to support the channel directly. I am going to be interviewing Andreas Antonopoulos on Thursday, and that's going to be going up on Patreon unedited first before it's available on Friday publicly for everyone else. So be sure to check out my Patreon channel. I would definitely uh, appreciate that. Also, in case you don't know, I am partnered up with Money Metals Exchange. As much as I love cryptocurrency, you definitely got to diversify, and I love gold and silver. And you can take advantage of a free half ounce of silver with Money Metals Exchange. Go to moneymetals.com, be a first-time buyer, purchase $100 or more, use the promo code RICE, R-I-C-E, and you get that free half ounce of silver, and it's a way to support the channel directly. Also, I want to encourage everyone to check out this video I did. It's an overview for DexKit's Next Generation Crypto DeFi Toolkit. Awesome project if you guys are into things like Uniswap and DeFi. So check that out. I'm going to have a link down below, but it is on my YouTube channel. So I do have the honor and privilege today to be joined by the one and only Mr. Max Funky Kaiser. So I want to pull my friend in the stream. Max, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Rice. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. And uh, thank you for doing this, scheduling it so quickly, especially in such an important time period during uh, American history with everything going on with the election process that we experienced and now the coming inauguration that's uh, scheduled for tomorrow. So how's everything going with you and Stacy with everything that's been since it's been like nine months since we talked, talked uh, on an interview. How's everything been since then? It's been a crazy year. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting in that um, when we huddled down here uh, almost a year ago, uh, you know, we just realized that everything can be done right here at our at our house. Really, we do all of our shows here. We just order in all the stuff we need, and. Um, it, a lot of the stuff that's been happening outside, like in D.C. or elsewhere, it just seems like um, it's happening somewhere else, really. We don't really have any participation in it. Uh, with having Bitcoin, it's, you know, we're moving away from all that. You know, we, we opted out of right. um, the whole uh, political quagmire. 
long ago. And this just kind of, uh, you know, it just, it just kind of accelerates that whole thinking of, of just opting out of it. Uh, I don't think there's any, there's going to be any, uh, any, any, everything is going to be sliding downhill from here uh, <laughs> if you're tied to fiat money. Right. So, um, you know, uh, that, that, so there's not a huge, you know, it's just been, I've been enjoying it. Tell you, 2020 was probably one of the best years of my life. That's awesome to hear. I mean, especially if you use this time well, and I would definitely agree. I mean, aside from, and it sounds kind of selfish considering everything that's going on around the world, but if you utilize your time well, you can make the best out of any situation. So I'm glad you yeah. said it that way. It's always yeah, a silver yeah, lining to everything. This idea of what is selfish, what is not selfish. And I think that it's uh, people who start stacking sats and accumulating Bitcoin, uh, they um, become individually sovereign or individually wealthy, individually sufficient. And uh, that's not selfish. I mean, selfish is uh, like what politicians are trying to do by printing lots of money to, to help them and, right. and to uh, make them rich by all that money printing. That's selfish. But uh, being individually con completely self-contained is the opposite of being selfish. I get it. No, and I agree. I'm just saying when you think about having a better year amongst all the tragedy that I experienced, uh, but I, I get your point of view 100%. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you before we can kind of get into Bitcoin, which is obviously what everybody wants to hear from you right now because you are the man of predictions. So, But I want to ask, like, as far as the political climate, um, everything that we've experienced politically – and economically with all this money printing. From what I'm understanding, we printed up basically a fifth of the money supply in 2020, if that's correct. So, and I know we're, we haven't even begun to feel the pain. Like you said, we're, everything's going to go downhill from now. I'd kind of like to get your retrospect of what's kind of gone down like most of last year. And then I'd like to get your, your perspective on the current climate like right now politically especially in the u.s and everything surrounding the inauguration so now it's like a long two-part question but right well stacy and i've been covering banks and global finance and markets for 16 17 years now and i think you know you got to go back to 2008 that's a really key moment so during the 2008 global financial crisis the obama administration had a choice they could have bailed out all of the debtors and that would have been all the mortgage holders and credit card holders or they could have bailed out the creditors, and that those were the banks that made fraudulent loans. You know, all the banks that the loans that were made by the banks at that time were, under any legal definition, fraudulent. So uh, Obama chose to bail out the creditors, and that was really the first time in history that uh, a leader decided not to bail out the debtors with a debt jubilee. That usually goes back to biblical times. That's what leaders usually do in these situations. Right. He chose to bail out the creditors, the guy who the people who caused all the problems. And uh, what that means is that, as, as we said in 2008, that this would simply make the problem a lot worse. And within 10 to 12 years, we'd have a repeat, but much, much worse. Because essentially, you took all of the banks that were committing all these massive frauds, and uh, instead of penalizing them in some way, you expanded their, their credit, you know, their credit card, if you will, their, their credit facilities, to 10, 20 times what they were. And what they did is they went out and they did the exact same crimes all over again, but they did it on a much larger scale. So here we are in 2021, and predictably, we're heading for another major credit freeze. So the, the credit will freeze again, like it did in 2008. 
and uh, that will be met with another wall of paper money. And uh, the results will be even more catastrophic than they have been since 2008. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with what you're saying. And it seems like since 2008, everything has been sort of put on life support, zombie banks. And we've seen in 2019, we've seen the uh, inverted yield curve and then the repo markets. And then conveniently, end of 2019, early 2020, we have this pandemic. And then, you know, it's it's blamed all the economic problems that we've been having are now blamed on this and it's not anything from 2008 and trying to put a band-aid on the situation basically putting a band-aid on a broken leg it's not really going to solve the problem yeah when you talk about inverted yield or you talk about negative interest rates so um this what what we're saying here is that we we have a complete absence of what what's called price discovery so in in a market driven economy in a free market driven economy in a free market capitalist economy, there's something called price discovery. As Adam Smith eloquently described it, the invisible hand. You know, it's out there in the marketplace and uh, everyone's acting in their own self-interest. And the result is the best price is, you know, price discovery takes place and um, you have an extremely efficient marketplace. And this was uh, the transition really from feudalism of the Middle Ages to the Enlightenment. And Adam Smith was an enlightened thinker. And uh, the whole idea of human rights and, and the rights of man and all the things that we uh, talk about in terms of being the, run, the, um, the enlightenment, that, that's the enlightenment applied to money, the price discovery and, and, and the invisible hand. But when you talk about in, inverted yield curve or negative interest rates, that is the opposite of price discovery. That is, once again, the state or the dictator or the king or the monarch or the Politburo, or the Central Committee, uh, committee, imposing their iron fist into the market and fixing prices, price fixing, not free right. market, but price fixing. And it always fails miserably. And um, when you hear Janet Yellen or, or Jerome Powell talk about their policies, they're talking about price fixing. They never mentioned anything to have anything to do with free markets or price discovery. Uh, erroneously, Many groups in our society blame "quote unquote" capitalism for the failure of what's going on, but it's not—it's not capitalism that's the failure. It's the—it's the failure of policymakers to allow capitalism or free markets or the principles of the Enlightenment to express themselves in the marketplace. And so, predictably, uh, we have a catastrophe. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's so eloquently said. Um, and I mean, it definitely leads us up to where we are today. Um, what are your thoughts on everything that's been going on just this year, 2021, when it comes to U.S. politics and how it's going to affect things moving forward, especially under a Biden administration? Well, we said when Trump took office that, and he was very explicit, he said um, he believed in deglobalization. And um, so I think that kicked off an era of deglobalization and de-dollarization. And those trends now are getting more extended. And so deglobalization is happening at a rapid pace. So countries are hunkering down, trade wars, tariffs, border conflicts, this type of thing that goes on is happening with a lot more severity because we were, we were deglobalizing. Uh, De-dollarization is also accelerating as more countries trade with themselves and their own currency. 
outside of the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar is world reserve currency that's been in place since the end of World War II. That's being de-dollarized or falling apart. And that has consequences, large consequences. The new administration coming in doesn't seem like they have any kind of recognition of that as the issue. Uh, they haven't said anything other than to do the exactly the same problems, uh, do exactly the same policies that have created the problems, but to do them in much bigger, right? I think uh, Paul Krugman at the New York Times this week was suggesting that the U.S. should essentially have a soft default on its debt, right? So the last time the U.S. had a major debt default was 1971. The right. U.S. defaulted on its obligations to Great Britain, who they owed a lot of gold to but they defaulted on that obligation and they gave them paper instead. That's closing of the gold window under Nixon that we know about. The Nixon shock. Right. So now that I would say this is since then, it's probably the second major default that if, 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 if they take Paul Kirkman's advice and the U S essentially prints 50, 60, 70 trillion in dollars to try to soft default. You mean he used the word default, right? So it's a, well, you can call it a soft default or a hard default. It's still a default. Right. And that's going to have reverberations around the world. And uh, it's predictable based on what we saw in 2008. 2008 was probably the last chance that America had to kind of uh, save itself from going into the gutter. But that opportunity was lost. And uh, this new administration is probably just going to quadruple down on all those failed policies again. And uh, so, therefore, the results will be catastrophic. Well, under a Biden administration, do you think that we're going to see uh, what is it going to be good for the cryptocurrency space, Bitcoin, blockchain in general? Well, uh, the Bitcoin as safe haven will get a lot of attention, a lot of traction. So the, the, the capital flight, there's a capital flight going on right now out of fiat into Bitcoin. And yeah. to some extent, you would think it would go into gold and silver, but we haven't really seen that yet. You know, you mentioned silver at the top of the show. Uh, I, I will mention that, uh, you know, but we don't see that happen. We see it in Bitcoin. Bitcoin, why? Because Bitcoin has actual price discovery, whereas gold and silver right now suffer from having price discovery because those markets have been entirely financialized. Uh, for every ounce of gold, there's probably, you know, 10,000 ounces of paper gold. Yes, I mean, derivatives, yeah. I mean, that's exactly how the prices is are, are established is because of the paper contracts, not the actual. Because if you go to like a local place that's selling or a precious metals dealer is selling gold and silver, they're, they're going to be selling above the, the market price right now. They're not accepting what the market is saying these metals are worth. Yeah, exactly. And so that... Um... So it's, I think it's easier to hold that down. They've had that market for so long, the JP Morgans, the silver market, the manipulation, they've had it so long. I mean, and obviously the market cap of Bitcoin is a lot smaller and it's easier to manipulate in that aspect. But now, like from my perspective, since the 25th, because the 25th, we hit 25K. And one of your predictions uh, back in 2019 for 2020 was to hit 28K and we ended up ending the year on 29K. But that was like the traditional markets were closed. So that was all, in my opinion, retail because the traditional markets for the most part are going OTC. It's not affecting the markets that much. So would you agree that what we've been experiencing for the most part since like Christmas, the 25th of December of 2020, being that it's mostly a retail push now? Well, Grayscale and Digital Currency Group over there with Barry Silbert, uh, you know, they just had the biggest buy, single day buy in history, half a billion. 18, 18, 18 
what is it, 1,800 times the amount of daily supplied Bitcoin? Right. So that's, yeah. uh, that's institutional buying. And that's right. one piece of the puzzle, right? So the, the daily mining outputs about 900 coins and the demand is four or 5,000 coins. So, and that's a lot of that's institutions. The institutions are, I would say in 2020, it was retail. 2020, we saw a retail, classic retail.com like blow off when the price got to 20,000 and then it crashed back down to under 4,000. That was a classic retail uh, blow off top. And since uh, then, it's been re institutional. We haven't seen really retail come in with a frenzy yet you know i think maybe in 2021 they will come back and we will see in 1917 excuse me 1917 i think i said 1920 i meant my 19, 1970 god damn it i'm so confused right in 2017 okay in 2017 we had that retail blow off top and right now in 2021 i don't think we've got the retail but i think we'll see them come in and that will just be another leg up yeah, no, I can see that. Um, but now at the same time, with what you just said with Grayscale, we haven't seen an increase in the price of Bitcoin. We haven't seen it affect the market because it was all done over the counter. So it does look like it, there may be a combination, but obviously the majority of buying is the financial institutions. Because I know that just between Cash App and PayPal, they're purchasing 100% minimum of what's being mined daily. I think that, uh, you know, the inventory on the exchanges is dropping, right? And um, I, I, I say, I've been saying this for a while. I think a big factor that you got to consider is that the, the exchanges up until a couple of years ago were all pretty dodgy. And exchanges like BitMEX and others, they were engaged in a lot of wash trading and a lot of uh, foolishness. And a lot of the volume was fake. I know what Michael Saylor said when he went in to buy his first big stake in Bitcoin, he determined that the average daily volume in Bitcoin that was true volume was about 50 million a day. So, um, which is a lot less than what we, we would uh, see uh, being reported as the daily volume in all these exchanges. Because a lot of it is, was, was nonsense uh, volume. And uh, which is um, not unheard of in financial markets. You know, the... Uh, Right. NASDAQ market is uh, half the NASDAQ market is fake volume because it's just broker dealers dealing with themselves out of their own inventory to for all kinds of reasons, but mainly to kind of game the market and make a little money on the side. And But that's considered part of the system and there's no real strict um, enforcement of those anti-front running laws for those market makers or on the New York Stock Exchange either. So, uh, okay, the Bitcoin market, you see the same kind of thing. But so over the last couple of years, um, we're transitioning from some, you know, from fake volume to real volume. And that's, that's kind of like churning through a, an overhead or a supply of, of volume to, to create the price discovery. So uh, when you, pretty soon, what I think is going to happen is that the Michael Saylor type or a corporate type or an institution will come in with an order to buy you know, 10 to $20 billion of Bitcoin. And suddenly within a few trades, they're going to be discovering there's no, there's no supply at all. And then suddenly the price will gap from 37,000 to 47,000, right? Or 52,000. It could right. happen in, in, in 10 minutes because there's the markets kind of lulled people into a sense that there is supply out there. But I think that it's churning through all that, 
bullshit supply. And then once that's all gone, the institutions are going to in for a rude awakening because they won't be able to source any coins at any price until it gets a lot higher. So I think the next break is going to be it's going to be a gap. It's going to just suddenly gap higher. And then that'll be a big story and what's going on, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's that's what we're seeing. How do you think that's going to affect uh, exchanges like centralized exchanges themselves that are that are in the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin trading space? Um, being that you're saying kind of like the liquidity is starting to dry up per se. Presearch, the next generation decentralized search engine that is powered by the community. Get paid when you search and earn pre pre crypto tokens and control your data. Learn more at presearch.io, P-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot I-O. How do you think this is going to affect decentralized exchanges? And do you see them go, like, do you see them going down just as well as you see financial institutions going down as well? Well, like any exchange, they have to uh, have a big fat credit line. So to make markets, it's all out of your credit line. So some exchanges will be able to arrange huge credit lines to manage their inventory. Some won't. You know, right. you walk the plank. You know, back again in 2008, we had two sacrificial lambs, Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns. It was deemed that uh, two, two, uh, there were, two chairs were missing when the music stopped, and those two were uh, taken out. You know, Bear Stearns was essentially given to J.P. Morgan for a dollar, and uh, they got all their assets for virtually nothing. Uh, Bear Stearns, and then Lehman Brothers is an interesting case, and yeah. um, Dick Fold, of course, uh, was a tragic hero of that era. He likes to think of himself as being, but they they were sacrificed uh, to to keep the wheels moving. So uh, similarly, we could see something something similar where one one or two exchanges exchanges has to be uh, sacrificed or closed down whatever but um we'll see i mean that wouldn't be unsurprising no it wouldn't definitely would not be surprising and something else that you've been speaking a lot about is um what's going on with the financial institutions that obviously have been getting bailouts upon bailouts um banks are extremely highly leveraged how do you think all this is um i mean i know you're talking about one of these institutions going down and it just kind of creating a domino effect. Um, when are you anticipating this kind of failure in the, the centralized traditional organizations, these corporations, and how do you think it's going to ultimately affect U S dollar and bottom line? Right. Well, so with markets, you have what are called market signals and, and prices and they signal to the market, what what's happening um, to the market. And for 20, 30 years now, we've had really widespread collusion between all the world's central banks. And this is written in a great book by Nomi Prinz, by the way, the title of which is Collusion. She talks about central banks colluding with each other. So because there's no competition in global finance and there's just this collusion going on with central banks, who are engaged in the massive fraud of claiming that there's no inflation and that they need to print money for their friends. Uh, we have a masked a tremendous number of problems. So now, it, it, as the policy appears to be to, to quadruple down on this fraud of colluding 
to pretend that there's no inflation and we need to print lots of money for our friends again, uh, you, you are running into two problems. Number one is social uh, unrest. So people are beginning to figure this out and they are becoming quite angry. And the second thing is Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is offering a true price discovery. So uh, all, the, all the fiat money around the world is in a hyper, deflation, a hyper inflationary collapse against Bitcoin. That's what Bitcoin's telling us, that Bitcoin, you've got real price discovery. And it's telling us that all this fiat money is in a hyperinflationary collapse right now. And so, again, people are getting to figure this out. And as a safe haven play, as a store of value play, you know, capital is moving into Bitcoin. And as, as the central banks continue to erode and the problem continues to get worse, and there's no new solutions or thinking just to continue doing the same uh, broken thing, right? You're going to see Bitcoin gallop higher, which is going to attract more capital. And you're just going to have this bifurcated global economy. There's going to be a Bitcoin economy and a Bitcoin world and a Bitcoin life and people living the Bitcoin life. And there'll be everybody else. That Bitcoin life. <laughs> it's, it. it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, we, we call it the Orange Pill Life, right? So we started this new podcast, Orange Pill Podcast, which is really yeah. living the Orange Pill Life. So we were red-pilled already 10 years ago because we started buying Bitcoin in 2011. And we were essentially red-pilled and we figured it all out a long time ago. So we don't need to be red-pilled. Now we're orange-pilled. We live in the Orange Pill Life style of the Bitcoin lifestyle. Like we already, we've seen all the Andreas Antonopoulos you know, we've been to all the conferences. We know the whole story. And you're motherfucking Max Kaiser. Right. That's we've, we've graduated, right? We're into the- they better recognize. But there's, there's a promised land. You know, once you get orange-pilled, you, 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 the whole world and the whole universe opens up to you. Like, oh, my God, my fear is leaving me. I'm, I don't have to be afraid of these idiots anymore. I don't have to buy. I don't have, I, you know, I mute on Twitter. Like, uh, you know, it's just like, I, I mute everybody except Bitcoiners. So I don't, I don't, I mute whoever the president is. I mute, I mute Jack Dorsey. I mute whoever, you know, I don't, I don't, they've got nothing to say to me really. I mean, I use it as a broadcasting and an advertising platform, but there's, I don't get anything from it unless it's Bitcoiners. Uh, so uh, that's just true across the board. It's just getting more like that every day. I mean, I can attest to that because I mean, you, you know, I mean, you've given me, uh, you know, a small person in a space, uh, a lot of attention, and I appreciate that. I mean, you definitely are one to interact with the community and be a part of the community and support individuals and different ideologies, which you know, I really appreciate. And we definitely need to have these outspoken people. And I do love Andreas Antonopoulos, but yet he's not that confrontational type. Like, I like it when you... um when I'm seeing you like at conferences, when you have conversations with Peter Schiff, when you just go off in full funky max mode, it's, it's beautiful. I love the passion. And yeah, well, that's like a legacy of my wall street career. Right. So anyone who's worked on wall street knows that this is the way people work on wall street. This is an average office exchange in wall street. Uh, if you're a banker, you're working at a firm, you're on wall street and 
And the way people talk to each other in that setting is like that extremely belligerent, shouting, screaming, insults, that type of thing. So when I'm talking to people in that, like Peter Schiff is, is a Wall Street guy. He, we started on the, in, you know, Sherson Lehman Hutton. We were working there at about the same time. Okay. And um, so I talked to him as I would if he were, we were working together in the office, like, look, you know, uh, you know and, I, and I go off on a tangent, but this is what he's used to. This is his milieu, if you will. So, um, you know, why not? I mean, you're talking to financiers, uh, talking to bankers and uh, on a professional level. This is how uh, conversations are had. And so, I'm, you know, I'm giving people in the Bitcoin space kind of, I think, a view into what their competition sounds like and what they are saying, right? Because a lot of people in the Bitcoin space, they um, think that they have to make friends with the people in, 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 in the regulatory, uh, the regulators, or they have to make right. friends. You know, like this whole idea of making friends with regulators is funny. Uh, I mean, people are saying, oh, Gary Gensler is coming over in the SEC and he's a friendly regulator. And he talked about Bitcoin when he was, uh, you know, a professor, blah, blah, blah. But anyone who's worked in the industry knows that the attitude and you hear this from Jamie Dimon or whoever ever it is, the, the, there's always a mantra on Wall Street, which is that just, you know, don't 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 pay attention to any law, never pay attention to any law. Because we've got lawyers, you know, that's, you know, we take part of your commissions and for a reason, you know, we have right. a battery of lawyers here. Do not pay attention to any law because, because we can do one of two things or three things, actually. One, we can change the law. Two, we can make new laws. And I'd say a great example of that is when Citibank took over Travelers. Okay. And uh, Jamie Dimon, I think, was at City at the time. But that was a clear violation of the Glass-Steagall Act. And uh, so they broke the law flagrantly. And, um, but they passed a law later that, that retroactively made that deal legal. So there's no law to, that applies to any banker at all. Eric Holder under Barack Obama said there's, he, he's introduced the Eric Holder Doctrine, which said that Bank bankers are unprosecutable. They they enjoy special status, special privilege. You can't can't prosecute a banker because they're systemically important to the economy. So this gave a total green light to just continue doing more and more fraud. And then the third thing is that most people that do business with a bank, you know, you're signing away um, when you when you do business. And even people who put their money into a regular bank, any bank. Uh, statutorily, the bank owns your money. You don't own yeah. your money. Once it's, it arrives in the bank, it's the legal property of the bank, not you. Anyone who does business with a broker, uh, it, it binds you to a mandatory arbitration by a, a arbitration panel uh, that's set up by Wall Street. And so very, very few people ever win those cases. Maybe one in a thousand is completely rigged against you. Um, so this is, um, this is, this is, this is the world in which, so Bitcoin's not going to ever triumph in that world because the regulators from day one are living in a cesspool of non-enforced, of non, of non, no legal framework whatsoever. Right. So don't even talk to a regulator. Ignore the regulators. They've got nothing to do with Bitcoin. They're never going to do anything positive. Bitcoin is self-regulating. It's self-clearing. It's self-verifying. 
it's self-custodial, you know, custodian. It does it all by itself. It doesn't need any, doesn't need a bank, doesn't need a regulator, doesn't need uh, any, any framework whatsoever. So there's no point even talking to these people. Uh, so I like to get that point across by exhibiting a level of distaste for this entire establishment. You know, I like to um, express that in a way that is doesn't uh, is not in any way uh, uh, confusing for anybody. In case anyone is confused by what I feel about these people, I try to make it as clear as possible right. uh, by being extremely vocal, and you know, as, as I have been at times. Uh, and the other thing about giving people in the space attention or whatever. So, you know, we were, we were the only media in Bitcoin for five years from 2011 for five years. You know, we really, the only Bitcoin media in the world was the Kaiser report uh, that had any traction. Right. So the, starting in 2016, 2017 with Segwit and a lot of this other stuff. So we saw a lot of extra media come, come around. And so I know it, it doing media is tough. Uh, I know how difficult it is. So, you know, Stacy and I made a point of, you know, let's throw as much light on these new new media folks as, as much as possible because uh, it's already tough enough. Let's, you know, get as much as possible because we need to get the narrative straight against the mainstream media, which is always going to side with the regulators, you right. know, because they're in bed with each other and that's always going to be the case. So we need, it helps everybody. We, and I appreciate the way you said that too. And, um, you mentioned regulation. There was a lot of talk about defense and regulation and all this stuff the United States is trying to Im impose. There's a lot of talk about the stable coin stuff, um, non-custodial or unhosted wallets. What are your thoughts on U.S. regulation and legislation that's trying to affect and hamper and control and centralize, in a way, a lot of Bitcoin's properties? Ignore it. Great answer. I mean, I mean, the, the there there is you know the IRS is is certainly uh, a, a, a regulator that you should not ignore. You know, you stay current with your taxes. I always recommend. I am current. I recommend everyone stay as you know stay current with your taxes. Uh, but as far as uh, every, anybody else, uh, just completely ignore them because uh, they 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 live on fiat money. They're all paid on fiat money, and fiat money is going to zero. And they're all going to be unemployed within two or three years anyway. They're not going to have any jobs left because the value of the dollar is going to zero. Some of them will save themselves and become Bitcoiners. Right. And then we don't have to worry about them because they're now they're Bitcoiners. Right. So the ones that want to survive will become Bitcoiners. The ones who masochistically want to die on, the, on a cross of fiat money are welcome to do so. Nice knowing you. Adios. Have a nice life. Goodbye. Makes sense. I love it, dude. I love it. Such, such great answers. And one thing, too, um, since the last time that I had you on the show back in late April of last year, uh, I've been branching out and kind of restructuring my channel. And since doing that, I've gotten more out of the crypto echo chamber, per se. And I'm actually reaching new people who are just hearing about Bitcoin or just wanting to learn about just finally deciding to make the decision to actually get involved with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So what, what I'd like to ask you is for people who are thinking about getting involved in Bitcoin that are been just researching, just not sure in your words, why Bitcoin? 
Money Metals Exchange, the most trusted silver and gold dealer with the lowest prices and fastest shipping. And you can get a free half ounce of silver. Visit moneymetals.com. If you're a first time buyer, purchase $100 or more and use the promo code RICE, R-I-C-E, you'll get a free half ounce of silver. Visit moneymetals.com. Well, it separates uh, the state from money. So it's, that's not an easy concept to lead a conversation with, but I think it is a very important concept and one that if you can get across to somebody, uh, they will be on their path toward Bitcoiner status. So it's really the first time ever that we've had the ability to own ourselves an unconfiscatable hard money like Bitcoin that I can transact with anybody anywhere without any third party at all. No bank, no government, no verification required. And um, this, this is why um, the, you see such incredible attention right now in the black community for Bitcoin uh, as, as uh, Bitcoin and black America, the book written by Isaiah Jackson, you know, quotes me in the book because I said on my show that, uh, you know, if the black community were to start buying Bitcoin today, I think it was like 20 bucks at the time, mm-hmm. they would eventually own the white community. You know, so I was trying to make a point that the black community in America has been um, persecuted for, you know, more than even the history of America, right? It goes back to pre-history uh, of America. And um, you have uh, the ability for the first time to have unconfiscatable wealth that is a store of value. That's that's the hard money, and so um, this is the, the this is the ultimate emancipation. It's emancipation from uh, from from fiat money slavery, and uh, we all suffer from fiat money slavery. We're all slaves to fiat money, slaves of debt for sure. And uh, so this is the emancipation from that. So, you know, you're going to get two responses. Either the, the one response would be like, well, you know, I don't really care. I'm happy being a fiat money slave. And okay, so the conversation is over. Have a nice, you know, have fun being poor. Uh, then the second response is, wow, I really, that sounds good to me because I really don't want to be a fiat money slave. Tell me more. Uh, so all around the world, people in countries that are having their fiat money collapse, whether it's Iran, Venezuela, or, you know, dozens of countries, this message resonates and Bitcoin's getting huge. Nigeria is a huge Bitcoin hotspot because they just bypassed the entire banking infrastructure that they've been deprived of for years and went right into the Bitcoin standard. And like 30, up to 30% of the country is now hyper-Bitcoinization. It's right? crazy. Totally changed. Uh, you know, the last people in the world who will be ultimately orange-pilled will probably be middle-class white Americans who will be, they're the ones who are the number one beneficiary of the U.S. dollar world reserve status. They are the ones who are the beneficiary of the world's biggest military force of the U.S. And they have the most to lose. So they're not exactly excited about opting out of the fiat money system, you know, when they are living in the lap of luxury. Even the poorer people in America, when you compare them to the poor people of, let's say, uh, India, (laughs) they're living like kings. Yeah, Yeah, they're not poor. They're not poor, are they? No. When you look around the world, no. Uh, but is there going to be a middle class? You know, that's the other thing. It seems like everything that's going on is trying to even just get rid of the middle class and just have it just be the has and the has nots. 
So no, it'll be not middle class. So it's going to be Bitcoiners, and then there's going to be fiat money slaves. That's right. We call middle class. Middle class is dead. I agree. I agree, and that's why I mentioned it. So um, I want to encourage people to check out the interview that you did with Daniela Cambone from Stansbury Research, and I also want to let Polly P know that I'm not going to ask Max to give him Daniela's number because he keeps harassing me to get you to give Daniela's number out. Uh, he wants to talk to her, but he's a good friend of mine. I just wanted to say that I'm not doing that, but I want people to check out that interview. It's a really good interview. Also a great channel. She's a great interviewer. So check out Stansbury Research. You had made some predictions, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, in 20, 2019, predicting 2020 price to end Bitcoin at a $29,000 price and or $28,000 price, and we ended at twenty nine. dollars So you've been almost spot on compared to a lot of other crypto experts. And I know a lot of people want to hear your price prediction if they haven't watched the episode that you did with Stansbury Research. But before we get into Bitcoin, and I know that you still own a lot of gold and silver and you're still a proponent of, even though you are pushing more in the Bitcoin element, do you have any price predictions for silver and gold uh, for 2021 before we get into Bitcoin? Well, it's kind of all connected. So my Bitcoin prediction, you know, it's tied to not only this wave of adoption and institutional money, but also with a dollar collapse. So the dollar collapse of the DXY, uh, I see that dropping precipitously. So that's how I come up with Bitcoin at 220,000 a coin. Gold, I mentioned on her show at 3,000, right? So that's a 50% move. That's a pretty huge move. Mm-hmm. And silver above a hundred bucks, right? So that's another big, big move, but not not as big as Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the fastest horse in the race, and but so it's predicated on. In, in the case of Bitcoin, there's a huge adoption plus dollar collapse, so that's why it's such an explosive move. With gold, you already have it's already an eleven or trillion dollar asset or something like that, so it's not gonna. It it doesn't have a lot of room on the upside to for more adoption. It's already one of the most it's the most it's the second most traded commodity in the world right now right behind oil right okay. so it's not it's not a newcomer <laughs> that's for sure no. uh, silver um of, as always has a move that's multiples of gold you know it's gold's crazy cousin right silver is always much more volatile than gold and uh, and interestingly i just saw something that when bitcoin gets to 80,000 a coin it'll be have a market cap bigger than silver so I think that was going to make pretty big news because it will firmly establish Bitcoin as right, in, you know, right there with gold and silver because it'll be bigger than silver, and then the, it'll have that target right on gold. Okay, let's we took out silver, let's go after gold. So to the answer to the question is, th- those are my targets, but it's based on I need I need to see the dollar really really uh, crash. And I think what I'm hearing out of DC right now from Janet Yellen and others is is making me feel like this is going to this is going to be the case in 2021 because they're simply going to quadruple down on the exact same policies that got them to the where they are today and that's going to really crush the dollar and everyone else in the world is, is already positioned for this so many countries have been buying gold the last few years to get ready for the day the dollar they pull the plug on the dollar and so they're positioning already for this and now they've got Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is uh, like in Iran, for example. They're they're really they've got like three or four percent of the hash rate already, and wow. they're the victim of sanctions from the U.S. 
And I, you know, the story this past week was that they had a huge blackout in Iran from all the Bitcoin mining they're doing. But anecdotally, that's is that what it was? Is that what the cause was from that you're hearing? You know, I've heard this. You know, I haven't heard. You know, it's tough to get verifiable facts out, but nevertheless, it's a cool story. Uh, And um, you know, why not? Uh, Once, as you know, once you get orange pilled, you can't come back. They're like. If if the senior leadership in Iran suddenly figured out that this is the ultimate pathway out of this U.S. dollar hegemony, uh, you know that that's going to be a big uh, develop as a big story, and and of course they have huge influence all over the world. And uh, if you see countries starting to get into a hash race or a hash war, where there suddenly there's a there's a sovereign struggle in a in a battle to get to acquire Bitcoin and mine Bitcoin. You know, everything, the number of go up technology kicks in. Uh, hash rate goes up, security goes up, price goes up. You know, that's how we get to the $220,000 level. It, it's, it's it's a seismic event. Um, you know, if, if if we don't have a huge event like that, I'm, I'm going to miss my target. But I think 2021 is the year we see major global financial dislocation happening. Yeah, no, I would agree. And when you mentioned de-dollarization earlier, it seemed like around the 2017 time period, when it was early in Trump's administration, there was just all this talk about de-dollarization. You've seen the BRICS nation banks working together. You've seen Chinese uh, doing the, the petro yuan, selling petro for the first time, competing against the U.S. petro market. Uh, so, And then that kind of almost diminished and kind of like that rhetoric was kind of going away and more so in the past few months, it's kind of come back. Do you see the potential possibility of the dollar itself, the U S dollar losing its world reserve status and, or, um, and, and how do you, and if so, how do you think that would affect the everyday person? Well, Christine Lagarde said it best just a couple of days ago, talking about Bitcoin. She said, it's an escape valve. And, 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 and in the context of what she was saying, she was saying, well, you know, we need to do something about this. We need to bring in global regulation, which, of course, is impossible. But her comment is telling in that it's true that any country that wants to get out from underneath U.S. dollar hegemony can go the escape valve is Bitcoin. And so I think that we're going to see that idea embraced by countries and people and institutions and bankers and corporations all over the world who want to get away from, as Michael Saylor calls it, the melting ice cube of U.S. dollar. And um, the ability to defend the U.S. dollar, I think, is going to get very tough because as Paul Krugman over there at the New York Times has said, the U.S. dollar is backed by men with guns. Right. So, in other words, he's saying the U.S. Pentagon, which is uh, we we funded to the tune of one and a half trillion dollars a year, roughly half the taxes collected goes to the Pentagon. Uh, they are they are what back. It's not the military script versus uh, fiat per se, but you know, the, the, the military backs the fiat money, and you know, the military. It seems like a military script. The the. Uh, the, the amount of uh, the gas bill for the Pentagon every day, I, I read this a few years ago. I don't know what the current number is, but they spent a quarter billion dollars a day just to fill up the planes and tanks and stuff. That is insane. Right? Just their daily gas bill is. <laughs> so, uh, 
you know, it's a very expensive apparatus. And empires always have this problem. They expand and then they, but they have to defend that expansion and it, militarily. And it's quite expensive. You got supply lines, you've got soldiers, you got to pay the soldiers. And, and empires typically, they overextend and they, they, they can't pay for it to, to keep the empire and it starts to crumble. And the people, like in the U.S., like in the Roman Empire, people have this assumption that, well, one day the barbarians showed up and they, and they, they took over the empire. But leading up to that for years and years, the, the people living in the Roman Empire were more or less inviting the barbarians to come in to save them from this crumbling empire. So I think we're going to see a lot of people in the U.S. who are like, I got it. This situation is so bad. I'm actually, I'm actually not, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not uh, too, um, you know, uh, the idea of having situation change dramatically is might be better than what it is now. Right. So, you know, America as the brand, that brand, you know, America is a brand, it's an idea, but it's also a brand, right? Yeah. America is not a country that, you associate necessarily like with France, you know, you associate it with fine wine and cheese and, you know, certain, I mean, America is freedom, right? And that's, what is it? You know, it's the, the 10 different people will tell you 10 different definitions of that word. And it's a brilliant brand because it appeals to people in different ways. But if, if the confidence in that brand drops, you know, it becomes like new Coke <laughs> or the Edsel or, <laughs> you know, just like, ew, ew, you know, it loses that, brand appeal and suddenly everyone wants to like doesn't want to you know america becomes the edsel of countries suddenly it can happen quickly and you know the whole culture shifts the zeitgeist shifts the cultural epicenter moves you know it could go to asia it could go somewhere else people are like mm, this isn't very fun anymore i'm getting out people with bitcoin are portable they can go anywhere they want pretty much and uh, other countries are welcoming them and so these all these things are coming to the to the fore here in 2021. It looks like definitely, definitely 100. percent And I know we're 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 kind of slightly limited on time. So um, before I get into the last few questions, I wanted to ask, and no pun intended, as far as your name being Max, it seems as if you you're kind of still a Bitcoin maximalist. Is there any other cryptocurrencies or blockchain projects at all that you're watching that you endorse? Do you have any sort of faith in or is it just bitcoin and the orange pill is all you need yeah pretty much you know um once you step away from bitcoin the risk goes up dramatically so obviously you know you've got like five or six thousand of these other things going on 98 percent of them are clearly to be avoided they're just junk of the remaining couple of dozen they're centralized they have attacked. They can be attacked. They're, they've got open attack vectors. It's just the risk profile is dramatically worse than it is with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is you've got the best risk-adjusted rate of return. So the thing is about when people say, oh, I, I'm into this other coin. I made X number of percentage points in a week. But on a risk-adjusted basis, you're actually losing money. I mean, you got to look at it like a financier, like a Wall Streeter. The risk is, is part of reward. And, you know, that's how rich people get rich is not by making money so much as reducing risk. Reducing risk is how you make money, not not just make money to make money. You need to reduce risk. That's how the mega rich get rich. And so once you step away from Bitcoin, you're inviting risk into your portfolio that is not rewarded. 
you don't get enough reward for the amount of risk you're taking. Like I, I read that these Robinhood traders are getting into options, right? So the options market has exploded because option, an option on Tesla stock is only three bucks. Why would I want to buy, you know, $800 for the Tesla stock when I can buy an option for three bucks? Because the reason is that once you buy that option, the risk reward ratio, it, it goes up by an enormous factor, almost incalculably higher risk <laughs> than just buying the stock outright. Uh, something weird just happened to my computer as I was trying to do a screen share. So I'm not sure how everything looks on everybody else's end. I'm waiting yeah. for my, my Google uh, Chrome to respond. It's currently blocked. <laughs> I've never had this happen before. I was going to try to share a screen on um, and show a little bit about uh, Swan Bitcoin. I wanted to ask you exactly what Swan is. Is it something that you started? No, no. Uh, yeah, okay. Sure. Um, Swan? Yeah, yeah, I'm curious about Swan. Oh, well, Swan Bitcoin, uh, you know, uh, it started up a couple, I guess it's a couple of years ago now. So it was designed to be the easiest on-ramp one year ago. So it's the easiest on-ramp to Bitcoin uh, of, of any anywhere you go. And it's the cheapest to to to, uh, to get onto Bitcoin. So it's, it's a Bitcoin maximalist play, uh, unlike other, let's say, on-ramps. So the most popular one is Coinbase, but you know, Coinbase has a lot of other funny business going on there, and their 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 relationship with the U.S. government is not really uh, something you want to be supporting. And um, the fees are higher, a lot higher. And um, so with Swan, uh, it's it's easy, it's cheap. You can get your Bitcoin quickly. Uh, it's um, they have smash buys, so you can just buy it quickly. Uh, you can have automatically pulled off the Swan right into your, let's say, Casa wallet. So it's got multi-sig protection, okay. uh, right? So it's you know, it's not held by Swan. Um, it's all maximalist. It's a great group of folks. They put a lot of like, great content. And I've known Corey for a number of years. And, uh, you know, we invested in the company uh, a little bit um, because we, we just think it's a great team. And um, so we support Swan, we support Casa uh, in a big way. You know, these companies that since we've been around for a while, I think, you know, we've been able to find ones that I think are, are um, you know, really supportive to the ecosystem, good companies. And um, yeah, I think altcoins, you know, going back to the history of altcoins, you know, in 2011, it was Bitcoin really. From 2011 up until, you know, Mount Gox, maybe a year after Mount Gox, right? They had that kind of experimentation. They had altcoins, things. Were, and and, and the, the, the story at that time was that the core developers of Bitcoin were just too slow. They weren't getting stuff out. You know, Mike Hearn, remember him? Yeah. He rage quitted like 400 bucks or 600 bucks. So there's a lot of uh, the core developers, a lot of contentiousness going on in the developers. And people like Vitalik, you know, who was a core developer, he's like, you know, I'm going to go start my own coin, Ethereum, blah, 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 right? And a lot. then you had all those Ethereum people did all those uh, platform coins and smart contract coins. We know who those are. And then you had the uh, privacy coins. And Didn't somebody create a Max Kaiser coin, though, too? Yeah. Yeah. Was these, that, was that these, you? No. These two students in uh, Bristol University. Okay. They they were fans of the show. They created a coin. One of them it became famous was as uh, um, Crypto Cobain. Uh, okay. Was one of the was one of the two guys who was living in the UK. 
So at that time, there was um, uh, Bill Murray coin, Kanye West coin. So this is back in 2014. Right. So they're like, oh, you know, let's do this. It's fun. Uh, but starting in around 2016, though, 2017, it became clear that that period was dying, was finished, because everything that anything else was trying to do, Bitcoin does or was about to do or can do. SegWit was a huge, uh, you know, in 2017 with SegWit, that was an enormous leap forward. This is what attracted Michael Saylor. You know, Michael Saylor came into Bitcoin in 2013 and then walked away from it. They thought it was too funky. Uh, then after he saw what happened with SegWit and the cyber hornets, uh, you know, repelled this attack, uh, he started to get into it again. Uh, so that was an important piece of history. Um, and so then the starting at that period, it became like maximalism became, I think for me, the only way to, to go really, because there's nothing, anything else can do that Bitcoin can't do or is in the process of doing. And if it if it is something completely different, then that I wouldn't. It's, I mean, they don't compete with Bitcoin. It's a, even Ethereum. I don't consider that a comp competitor to Bitcoin. It's a software platform, and they do stuff on it. But it's not. It doesn't compete with Bitcoin. It's not a store of value. They have no idea how many coins exist. They've never had an audit. You know. But it, right. it's a fun project for some people. You know, it's not doesn't compete with Bitcoin. But you know, people can trade stuff if they want i mean I, I, you know but it does, don't don't put the two in the same category they're not okay cool and i appreciate that for and again for some reason like none of this on my end has cleared up so i'm not even exactly sure how i'm going to end the stream other than or shutting my computer down so i know that we're, we were getting ready to wrap things up um, do you have any final thoughts on your end that you want to leave people with max uh don't uh, well, you know, this week we've got a reemergence of the Tether FUD from 2017. Uh, I think Noriel Rubini st stirred up the Tether FUD pot. And so all these idiots are repeating the 2017 Tether FUD. Uh, it's nonsense. And within a few weeks, I'm sure it'll go back into the dark recesses of everyone's collective, you know, forgetting about it once again. So, uh, you know, these things come back every once in a while. But uh, they're like bad TV shows. You know, they appear on, on reruns every once in a while. They don't get any better. They're just as bad. The, the, the Tether rerun is just as bad in 2021 as it was in 2017. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a silly, nonsensical thing. But and nevertheless, uh, the mainstream media gets fooled all the time because they've never actually done any uh, research into this kind of stuff. So that's my final word, Rice. You know, this has been awesome. To have me back on, I you know the production values here. I'm I'm, I'm envious of all these uh, screen uh, fireworks you have going on here. It's fantastic. Yeah, well, unfortunately, everything just got screwed up on my computer, and thankfully, I could um, just log on to my my phone and be able to connect. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is just the most bizarre thing because I have never had my computer lock up like this. I mean, my computer is. <laughs> It's completely frozen. It's uh, and I was and I, for a minute it was just you and I thought, oh my god, like I left Max alone on my channel, which would have been a blessing, but I, I would have felt so freaking bad. So I'm glad I was able to be here right now. Super. Well, dude, right. thank thank you again for your time, man. Uh, I appreciate everybody for tuning in. I would definitely encourage people to check out my Patreon channel. Be sure you're following me 
on not only library but also odyssey where i have backups of all my videos and i post up extra content you can contribute to the channel via paypal cash app and my crypto address is down below in the video description make sure you're checking out um, both max's shows the kaiser report you should already be familiar with that but also make sure you subscribe to the orange pill podcast i have links down below we shared it in the video Max, again, I really appreciate your time. I want to go ahead and end things on the video live stream, and I'll be bearing with you in just one second. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and smash that like button. Much love. Bye.